I got the bad kid ball up here. All right. Part, part of me just thinks like as soon as I locate Hunter Carroll, I'm just going to whip it right at his face. Oh, oh, there, oh, he's sitting by Jill. That'd be collateral damage. I can't, I can't. Oh, and he's sitting by Douglas on the other side. I feel like if I missed and hit Hunter, I missed Hunter and hit Douglas, then Douglas would put me in some kind of crazy jujitsu hold and break me over his knee or something. I, I don't want that, so I'll get rid of the bad kid ball. Just don't go to the bathroom, okay? You can, you can hold. Oh, good. Good call, David. Good, good job. Hello. Good to see you. It's been a little while since I had the opportunity to be up here with you guys, uh, but I'm excited to be here, thrilled to be here. This is, if you can believe it, this is one of the best things that I get to do in my entire life. Ah, oh, David's life is sad. He just likes to talk. This is, this is depressing. No, this is one of the best things that I get to do. This is one of the best ways I get to serve God. It's an honor each and every time I get to come up here and talk to you guys. So thank you to Brian and thank you to you guys for humoring me for a little while. And uh, let's just dive right in. So if you were here last week, you know that we are in a series called The Walking Dead. And in case you were asleep... We are in a series called The Walking Dead, and, and let's just dive right in. Here's, here, here's the premise of the series. Here's the premise of the series, okay? It's that God has this amazing life for us. God has this abundant life, this joy-filled life for us, okay? But so often, the reality of our life falls so far short of what God wants us to have. So far short of the peace, the joy, the abundant life that God wants us to have. So, so we, we, we want to ask the question, why is that? Why in the world is it? Are there things in our lives that are causing us to miss out on what God has for us? Because we read through the scriptures, and, and, and just this is just a for example. You don't have to turn there. I'm just going to read you a, a few, few scriptures. In Psalm 1611, here's what the psalmist says. It's probably David. It says, in your presence, he's talking about God. In God's presence, there is fullness of of joy. Did you get that? Fullness of joy. Not just joy, not just if I'm in God's presence, I'm happy. There, there's joy, but fullness of joy. This, this makes sense, right? Because we believe God is the source of all joy. And so to be in God's presence is to experience fullness of joy. It's to be right at the source of all good and perfect things. To be in God's presence is to experience fullness of joy. And then it goes on to say, in your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That's amazing. That's amazing stuff. John 10, 10. This is what Jesus says in, in the book of John, chapter 10. Again, you don't have to turn there. We're, we're going to hit a lot of scriptures tonight. He says, this is Jesus talking. I have come. In other words, I've come to the world. I've come here. This is the reason. I've come that they, being his disciples and, and us as his followers, I've come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Not, not just I want to come there and save them from their sins so one day they can have eternity in heaven. And that's a big part of it, right? That's, that's a big part of the life he's talking about. But he's talking about abundant life now. I've come that you all, everybody here, me, if we're a follower of Christ, I've come that you can have life and have it abundantly. In the book of Galatians, another example, Paul's talking about what it's like when we live with the Spirit of God inside us, right? And, and, and he lists the fruits of the Spirit. And what are they? The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Joy and peace are things that should mark our lives as believers. I want those things. I want joy. I want, I want this deep abiding joy that God promises. I want peace in my life. God wants us to have them. 
And then in John chapter 15, and this is the, the, the kind of the, the verse that sort of kicks off this, this whole uh, Walking Dead series. This is what Jesus says in John chapter 15, starting in verse 10. Again, this is Jesus talking to his disciples, right? And, and recognize we're 15 chapters in now. We're 15 chapters into the book of John. So we've gone through a lot of Jesus's life and a lot of Jesus's teaching, right? We've, we've gone through lots of the commands that Jesus gave us, the love your neighbor as yourself, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your enemies, right, was one of them. That one wasn't pleasant. That one's a lot, not a lot of fun. Pray for people that persecute you, forgive people when they wrong you, like it's getting progressively worse. Jesus, just stop talking. I, I can maybe love my neighbor, but I'm not going to forgive people when they wrong me, and I'm definitely not going to love my neighbor as, as, as myself. But Jesus has spent the first however many years of his life, right, up to 15 chapters into John, and he's been giving us these commandments, giving us these teachings, and this is what he says in John chapter 15. He goes, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. And then this is the key for us tonight. These things, in other words, all these commands, all these things I've asked you to do, all the ways I've asked you to live. He says, this is the reason I gave them to you. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and so that your joy may be complete. Some translations say so that your joy may be full. Did you get this? This is a very important concept for, for us as believers, okay? Because we know that God instructs us to live a certain way, and, and, and partly that's because God is holy, and these things are right and good, and they please Him, right? But that's not the whole story. God doesn't just instruct us to live a certain way because He likes it, and it's good for Him, and it honors Him. He instructs us to live a certain way because ultimately, it's the best possible way for us to live. It's the way to live that gives us the most joy possible in life. You understand? If, if you don't get this, the whole rest of the series doesn't make any sense. Okay, so understand that God wants us to live a particular way so that we can have the best, greatest, biggest joy possible. And we all want this, right? We instinctively want this. Every decision we, made, I would, we make, I would venture to say, on a daily basis, we make Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of decisions. And the decisions we make more often than not, in fact, almost all the time, are based on what's going to make me the happiest in this moment, right? When I'm faced with a choice, I think to myself, what's going to make me happy? What's going to make me feel satisfied? What's going to make me feel good? We have this instinct in us to do what's good for us. And God says, great, I want you to do what's good for you. Here's how you do it. This is what's going to give you ultimate joy. So we read these scriptures and we see God wants us to have this abundant, joy-filled life. But here's the reality. A lot of times, I don't feel that joy. A lot of times I walk in here on a Wednesday night and it's the last place I want to be. A lot of times the music will be playing and I'll have my hands in my pockets and I'll kind of mumble along and sing the songs and kind of stare at my feet and I feel apathetic. I feel like this stuff just doesn't really matter. I feel bored, right? Maybe some of you feel bored right now. I can relate. I've been there. Sometimes I don't feel this abundant, joy-filled life. And the question we're asking with this series is, what in the world? Why? Why? We read that God wants us to have this joy. Why don't we have it? And so each week of this series, we're going to look at a different reason that we fall so far short of the joy God wants us to have. 
That's the series. That's what we're doing. So we're going to look at one of those reasons tonight. But before we get there, I want to talk to you about television for a little while, because we watch a lot of TV in my house. Can I get an amen from anybody in the crowd? Amen. I watch a lot of TV. Way too much. I've talked to you guys about this before. I'm not proud of it. It's a reality. I'm seeing a counselor. We're getting better day by day by day. If you know me and my wife, and, and even if you don't, I'll go ahead and tell you. We have a 10-month-old son, and we have a three-year-old daughter. So the fact that our daughter has, has turned three and is starting to become more and more aware means we have to be especially conscious of the things we watch on TV, right? Be because... Well, just because she's repeating things, she's understanding things, she's asking questions that I don't want her asking for like years and years. And so we need to watch shows that are appropriate for a three-year-old girl, okay? So if you walk into my house on a typical day, we're not going to be watching, you know, some network show, some network drama. We're probably going to be watching one of a few shows. Here are the shows that are usually on in my house. There's a show on Disney called Doc McStuffins. Anybody? Yeah, amen and amen. So, so, so Doc... Doc McStuffins is this crazy morbid cartoon where this little bitty girl has these little uh, toys and like stuffed animals that are constantly hurting themselves. So like, you know, like the dinosaur comes in, he's got like a gimpy leg that he's dragging across the floor. And like the, 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 the one like little blow up doll has like its arm is deflated and there's a big gash in it and stuff. And sometimes like a head is falling off and they come crawling into Doc McStuffins. And she usually nine times out of 10, she just takes some duct tape and wraps it around it real good. And it's fine, which incidentally is the way you fix 99% of the problems out there. Just file that one away when you're an adult. Just, just remember it. Duct tape fixes everything. This is Doc McStuffins. We watch, um, uh, what do we watch? Thomas the Train. Thomas the Train fans in here? They're two, they're four, they're six, they're eight. Shunting trucks and hauling freight. Red and green and brown and blue. They're the really... It, it, in case you wonder what's going on in my head, almost all the time, it's the Thomas the Train theme song just playing like on a loop in my head. And I only know like 90% of the words, so I kind of have to hum through like half the song or 10% of the song. I can't do math. And uh, <laughs> you don't want in here. You don't want in here. Thomas the Train, Doc McStuffins, Sesame Street, and uh, okay, no, no SpongeBob yet. No SpongeBob yet. We have a SpongeBob band in my house. We watch a little Winnie the Pooh, though. Little Winnie the Pooh, right? Classic stuff from my childhood. A few years ago, they came out with a full-length feature film. It was in theaters and everything, and I don't know what it's called. I call it the Winnie the Pooh movie. That's good enough for my three-year-old girl. So here's the reality that I live in. I have a very small pool of pop culture references from which to draw to make an analogy to great theological truth, okay? And the reality in my life right now is I have to draw great theological truths for your illustration and your benefit from things like Doc McStuffins and Thomas the Train and tonight Winnie the Pooh. So what we're going to do tonight is watch a Winnie the Pooh clip. All right, and it's going to be good, and the God is going to be praised, and it's going to be beautiful. So <laughs> let me just set up the clip. Guys, you can go ahead and cue up the clip for us. This is from the Winnie the Pooh movie, and, uh, and, and, and here's what's going on in the movie. Christopher Robin, right, the one real-life person, has been, uh, I don't know what's happened. He's missing, okay? And, and Pooh and friends are all, by the way, how great is it that I've already said the word Pooh like five times in a sermon? <laughs> That's happening. That's happening here tonight. Praise God. Winnie the Pooh and all of his friends are desperately trying to find Christopher Robin, right? And they don't know where to find him. And so they go to the wise owl. And the wise owl tells them, I know exactly what's happened to Christopher Robin. There's this thing called a Baxen. 
And it's this big, hairy, scary, fanged, horned monster. And, and the Baxen has taken Christopher Robin. And if we can just get rid of the Baxen, we can get Christopher Robin back. And oh, by the way, the Baxen is also responsible for virtually everything that goes wrong in the 100 Acre Wood. Okay, If something goes wrong, it's the Baxen's fault. So if we can just get rid of the Baxen, we can get rid of our problems and get Christopher Robin back. And so they sing this lovely jingle that we're about to, uh, to partake in. Let's go ahead and roll that, guys. It's a giant creature with a tail. Here, I'll draw Piglet for scale. Oh, it's hide is like a shaggy rug. Its face a surly, ugly mug. With two sharp horns atop its head. Between a mop of hair that's red. <gasps> and in its nose a ring of gold. It smells of monkey's feet and meld. Its toes are black. Its fur is blue. I swear that all I tell you is not made up. The back sun. The back sun. The back sun. The back sun. Oh no! What does a Baxon do? Yes, oh, what, what does a Baxon do? Hmm, what does a Baxon do? I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, and now I will tell you. They sneak into your library and scribble in all your books. The Baxon, the Baxon, we don't like the Baxon. When decorating your Christmas tree, they tangle up all the hooks. The Baxon, the Baxon, we're afraid of the Baxon. They spoil the milk, they stop all the clocks, they use their horns to put holes in your socks. The Baxon's the one who's been putting holes in our socks. Tell us more about what Baxons do. Yes, more about what Baxons do. More about what Baxons do? Why don't we hear some thoughts from you? Maybe they make you sleep too late. Yes, yes, that's good, that's great. I bet the reason my tail is gone. You're on a roll, go on, go on. They muddy up your tidy house. They make you feel as small as a mouse. They break your crayons. They spill your day. They wake up babies at one and three. They made me catch the cold I caught. They made me lose my train of thought. They swipe your stripes. They clog your pipes. They dig up your garden. They won't beg your pardon. They eat your snacks. They won't relax. They chip your tooth. They steal your youth. And now you know the horrible truth. The Batson, the Batson, the Batson, the Batson. exactly what to do. We'll find things Baxons are partial to. Like books. And dishes. And socks. And toys. Yes, everything that a Baxon destroys. Then we'll dig an enormous pit and make the items lead to it. He'll fall in and we'll get our friend. And this horrible nightmare can come to an end. The Baxon! The Baxon! The Baxon! The Baxon! Go home and search your closets. Bring everything that you can. The Baxon! The Baxon! We're gonna catch the Baxon! We'll save Christopher Robin by following Rabbit's plan. The Baxon, the Baxon, we'll sing Christopher Robin. We must be brave and have no fear. So to the death, we'll persevere. We'll search by the sun and the light of the moon, and if everything goes well, we'll be back soon. Back soon. Back soon. Sounds like Baxon. Back soon. Well, good luck, everyone. Amen. Amen. Let's just pray right there and close this out. I feel like that's, that's, that's a good night. <clears throat> All right. Now, come with me because we're going to go from the Winnie the Pooh Baxson video and make the great leap to biblical truth. Okay? Here's the reason I showed the Baxson video. <laughs> it's because we have a Baxson in our lives. We have a Baxson in our lives. It's not a hairy, scary, fanged, horned creature that 
tangles up all our uh, ornaments and drinks our milk and eats our honey and causes us to oversleep. But we have something in our lives that's responsible for many, maybe even most of the problems that you and I have on a daily basis. There's something in our lives, we have this this Baxin, it goes by a different name, we have this thing in our lives that's responsible for, I'd say, 99.999% of the problems we have in relationships with other people and in our relationship with God. If we could just get rid of this thing, if we could just, if we could just dig a trap and this thing would fall in and never bother us again, life would be so much better. If we could get rid of this thing, we could start to take hold of the joy that God wants us to have. The Baxin that I'm talking about and that we're going to talk about tonight, it's got a name. And the name is pride. Pride. P-R-I-D-E. The Baxin in our life, the thing that's holding us back so much, the thing that's causing so much drama and causing so much relational friction, the thing that's sapping our relationship with God is called pride, pride. C.S. Lewis said that pride is the root cause of every sin that you commit. Think about that. This, this one thing, this one thing is responsible for every sin that you commit. It's at the root of every sin that you commit. So what I want to do tonight is, 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 is ask ourselves, what is pride? Let's, let's take it out and let's look at it. Let's look at this backson that's haunting us, that's holding us back, that's causing us so many problems. Let's look at what it is. Let's look at how it prevents us from having the joy that God wants to give us. And let's ask ourselves the question, what do we do about it? How do we get rid of it? What do we do about it? So number one, what is pride? Let me give you just a a two-word definition. This is just kind of a working definition. Uh, It helps me understand what pride is. Two words. Pride is self-worship. Self-worship. It's when when I choose to worship myself. And And you sit there and you think, this is weird, David. This doesn't apply to me. I'm not at home writing like praise songs on my guitar to myself. And I don't have like posters of myself all over my room. And I don't light candles and pray to myself. And look, I don't do that stuff either anymore. And <clears throat> that's not what I'm talking about. Okay. That's not what I mean when I say self-worship. Here's what I mean. When I say that pride is self-worship, what I mean is that each of us each of us set ourselves up as our own highest authority. You understand what I mean? Our own highest authority. So that when it comes time for us to make a decision, we consult the people around us. We listen to our friends. Maybe we listen to our parents. Sometimes we listen to what the Bible has to say and what God has to say. But the proud person cares about his own opinion more than any of that, right? So when it comes decision time, the proud person is going to look to himself because it's his own opinion that matters more than anyone else's. A proud person sets himself up as his own highest authority. That's what pride is. Now, how does pride steal our joy? Let's let's walk through this. If you remember back to the beginning of the sermon, and that was a long time ago before the poo video, but try to reach back there into John chapter 15 and remember 
that Jesus said, I've given you these commands, all these ways that I want you, all these things I want you to do in your life, the way I want you to live. I've given you these commands so that your joy may be complete. Okay, this is kind of the program. Live this way, get abundant, great, complete joy. That's what God wants for us. Pride, pride prevents us from obeying those commands. And therefore, pride prevents us from grabbing hold of the joy and the abundance that God wants to give us. Let me just walk through a few of these commands with you, okay? Just, just some, so we can put some meat on the bone here so we can, so we can understand how this works. Here's, here's one of the commands that, that Jesus gives. Anybody remember what, uh, what Jesus says was, was the first and greatest command? First and greatest command, Jesus said. It's, okay, I'll give it away. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. That's the first and greatest command. Here's what pride does. Pride says to God, God, I, I understand that you created the universe and that was a pretty cool thing. And I know that you made the world and that, that was a little bit cooler. And I like the mountains and stuff. So good job there. And I, I, maybe I even know that you made me, God. But at the end of the day, when push comes to shove, I'm going to say no to you if I want to do something different right? And, and don't get me wrong, we all do this, okay? Understand, we are all proud people from a very, very young age. In fact, since, since we can understand and talk, my three-year-old cannot wait every day to say no to whatever I ask her to do. Brooklyn, you want to brush your teeth? No. Brooklyn, you want to go uh, put on your pajamas? No. Brooklyn, it's bedtime. No, 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 no. All day long, she knows that I'm her dad and that I'm the authority, right? Or should be, but ultimately, she's going to do what she wants to do because she's got a sinful nature, man. She's already proud. She's already saying yes to herself and no to her parents, no to me. And at some point, as much as I hate to think about it, she's going to say no to God. That's scary as a parent. That's scary. So the first and greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Pride is per se not doing that. That's what pride is. It's saying no to God and it's worshiping myself instead. Here's another commandment. Love others as you love yourself. Jesus said, first and greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second, the second greatest is very much like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Here's what Jesus is saying. I want you to love people like you naturally love yourself, right? So like you naturally want good things for yourself, I want you to want good things for everybody else around you. And, and when you mess up, you know how your instinct is to go, ah, it wasn't a big deal, and ah, they should just show me grace because I, I know I messed up, but they should forgive me. Jesus is saying, I want you, when someone messes up and someone hurts you, I want you to treat them that same way. I want you to forgive them and show them the same grace that you want for yourself when you mess up. This is the second greatest command, Jesus says. And pride, pride can't love its neighbor as itself. A proud person cannot love their neighbor as itself. Why? Because the proud person is focused on himself. The proud person doesn't care enough about his neighbors to love them as himself. Pride prevents us from loving our neighbors as ourselves. Here's another one. This is a big one. Pride prevents us from sharing the gospel. Pride prevents us from sharing the gospel. Remember the Great Commission? Remember Jesus said, go into all the world and preach my gospel to every creature. In other words, share this good news that you have, 
You've, you've experienced salvation. You have eternal life. You were once a sinner. You were once dead, and now you're alive. That's phenomenal news. Now I want you to go and tell everybody about it. But the proud person doesn't tell everybody about it. Why? Because the proud person already got his ticket stamped. He, he's already got his ticket punched, and he's going to heaven one day. His eternal security is, is taken care of, and he could care less whether the people around him, even less so the people on another continent, are going to die and go to hell. You ever think about maybe the reason you don't share the gospel with the people around you? It's not that you're afraid or that you're worried or that you're not sure how to do it. Maybe the reason is you're proud and you just plain don't care if other people go to hell. Pride prevents us from sharing the gospel. Here's another one. If you weren't already mad at me, you're definitely going to be mad at me now. Remember in uh, the Old Testament, it was Moses, wasn't it? He, he went up on this big mountain and he came back down with like these stone tablets and God had told him things that he had written down there. And they, there were commands, weren't they? And there were, there were one, two, three, there were ten. Oh, the Ten Commandments, right? He came down with the Ten Commandments. Here's what one of the Ten Commandments was. It goes like this. Honor your father and mother. God said, I've got 10 rules for you to live by. That's not too many. Here's one of them. Honor your father and your mother. Proud person doesn't do that too good. Why? Because mom and dad say, hey, I need you to clean up your room. Proud person says, I'm, I, I would rather play video games. Mom and dad says, hey, be home about 11 tonight. Proud person says, I'm really not doing anything too bad. I'll, I'll stay out till 1130, 1145. I'll be there when I feel like it. Because the proud person is his own highest authority. And they look at their parents and they say, mm, thanks mom and dad for the house and the clothes and the car and the gas money and uh, 18 years of love. But mm, tonight I'm going to do my own thing. The proud person has a very hard time honoring mom and dad because they're busy honoring themselves. We can go on and on and on and on with these commands Jesus gives us and the reason pride gets in the way. So I see this disparity between the abundant, joy-filled life that God wants us to give us, wants to give us. And I, and I come in here on a Wednesday night and, you know, I see, I see a lot of apathy, a lot of people that just kind of aren't into it, just kind of bored, right? And, and again, I've been there. And, and what I'm submitting to you tonight is, Maybe the reason for the disparity is because there's pride in your heart that's preventing you from obeying God's commands and therefore preventing you from having that joy. So what do we do about it? What do we do about it? I, I look in the Bible and I, I look up verses about pride and I read things like this and in Proverbs 16, it says, the Lord, talking about God, the Lord detests all the proud of heart. Be sure of this, they will not go unpunished. You hear that? The Lord detests. In other words, the Lord hates. The Lord despises. The Lord detests the proud of heart. That's something I don't want. I don't want to have pride in my heart if that's what God hates. James 4, 6 says, God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. That tells me I don't want to be the proud. I don't want to be the person that God is opposed to. I want to be the person God is giving grace to, right? I don't want to be proud Therefore, I want to be humble. So how do we do that? What is humble? What is humility? A lot of times, humility kind of gets a bad rap. And hang with me, because we've got about five more minutes. We're almost there. What is humility? 
Oftentimes when we talk about humility, we think of it in relation to pride. And that's the right way to think of it because it's the opposite of pride. But when we think about pride, a lot of the times we think of pride as being somebody, you know, pride means I have a high opinion of myself. I'm my highest authority. Look at me. Look how great I am. Put the spotlight on me. I'm the man. I am my own God, right? We, we have a very high opinion of ourselves. So when we think of humility as the opposite of pride, we naturally think of humility as meaning we have a low opinion of ourselves, right? Pride is I have a high opinion of myself. We think humility must mean I have a low opinion of myself. So we put on this act where somebody gives us a compliment and we're like, oh no, it wasn't, it wasn't that good. Or, oh no, I, no I, I didn't look that good. I didn't sound that good. No, I, that's not true. And it's this, this kind of modesty act. Sometimes it's genuine. Most of the time it's just false modesty. That's not what humility is. Right, hear me on this. If you don't hear anything else tonight, understand what true humility is. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's not having a low opinion of yourself, a lower than necessary opinion. Humility does not mean thinking less of yourself. It means thinking of yourself less. That's C.S. Lewis. That's not me. That's, that's the reason for the profundity. Humility is not thinking less of yourself it's thinking of yourself less. What do I mean by that? Here, here's what I mean. The proud person is me, 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 me. I, 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 I look at me, look at my life. I'm concerned about my own desires and my own hopes and my own dreams and get out of my way because I'm going to get mine, right? That's what, that's what pride is. Humility takes the focus off of myself and puts it on other people. It thinks of yourself less and thinks of other people more and focuses on God more. That's what it means to be humble. That's what we want to be, man. Philippians chapter 2 speaks about humility, and here's what it says very, very quickly. This is Paul writing to the church at Philippi. This is what he says. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, in other words, verse 1 basically says, look, if this whole God thing and this whole Jesus thing means squat to you, if it means anything at all to you, then verse 2, he says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. And here's where we, this is important for us. Verse 3, he says, do nothing from rivalry or conceit. In other words, guys, stop acting out of pride. Do nothing out of rivalry or conceit, but in humility, in humility, he says, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests. In other words, stop just looking out for number one, he's saying. Let each of you not look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. That's what humility looks like. Humility stops looking at yourself and starts paying attention to the people around you so that you start seeing with new eyes. You start seeing with Jesus' eyes. You start recognizing needs in the people around you. You start recognizing ways to serve God in your school and in your home. And you start recognizing ways to honor your parents. Why? Because that's what God commanded you to do. That's what it looks like to be humble as a Christian. So how do we do it? Very, very quickly, how do we do it? Because the fact is this thing called pride is so much a part of who we are. It's so much a part of our nature that there's no like 
10-step program to get rid of pride. There's no book you read and, and you get to the end, you're done with pride. There's no education or training that you can receive to get rid of pride. But let me offer you two suggestions tonight, two practical suggestions to help you eliminate pride or at least battle pride and encourage humility. Here they are very, very quickly. Number one, recognize that pride is a spiritual problem and it has a spiritual solution. Pride is a spiritual problem and it has a spiritual solution. Here's the name of the solution. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the only answer, the only solution to this pride that nags at us, that causes us so many problems. And the more that we recognize the gospel, the more we focus on the gospel and love the gospel and study the gospel and integrate the gospel into our lives, the more we recognize that our very life and our salvation was given to us as a gift by God Almighty, that all the good things in our life we could never have attained for ourselves, the less proud we're going to be. Pride is a spiritual problem with a spiritual solution, and that solution is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Number two, <laughs> man, recognize, guys, hear this, recognize that pride is with you every day. Every day you wake up, two things are going to be true, okay? Every single day, I can promise you this, two things are going to be true. Number one, your breath is going to be just terrible, right? That's called morning breath. And we all have it. It's okay. We're all friends. We can talk about this kind of stuff. Everybody's got morning breath every single day when you wake up. Number two, when you wake up in the morning, you've got pride in your heart. Whatever you did the day before, whatever strides you made, every day you wake up in this life, until we meet Jesus face to face and he glorifies us, we've gonna, we're going to have pride in our hearts, right? So recognize that the battle against pride is a daily battle. Forever. This is why Jesus says, I want you to deny yourselves and take up your cross daily, every single day. And the hope, and, and my prayer tonight is that some of the people in this room will wake up to the reality that this thing called pride is very much a part of your life. Wake up to the reality of pride in your life, admit that it's there. And tonight, commit to battling pride every single day. If we do that, if some of the people in this room grab hold of this concept, man, the joy that we're going to have as a group of people, the way that we're going to be unified as a group of people, the way that we're going to love one another and show grace to one another and help each other as a group of people is going to be phenomenal. It's going to blow your mind. But the first thing is we have to recognize that this pride is in us. His pride is in us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, your word is a double-edged sword that cuts right to our hearts. Lord, we thank you for the truth that you've given us in your written word. Father, we thank you most of all <laughs> for showing us where we fall so far short and forgiving us in the midst of our sin, in the midst of our pride, God, you reached down into human history and you sent Jesus to die for us as proud people, people that have not attained humility yet, people that haven't learned how to obey you perfectly yet. God, you died for us to make a way. You make it possible for us to obey. Father, my prayer for the, for the students in this room, for the adults as well, is Lord, myself included, that we will embrace this truth 
that pride is poisonous, Lord, and that you want to give us an abundant, joy-filled life through obedience to your word. Father, thank you for these students. I pray for them as they continue to go through their week, as they interact with folks, with teachers, and with, uh, with, uh, with, with sports teammates, God, and with uh, classmates. I pray that you would enable them, Lord, to, to live in obedience, live boldly, live a life that is, uh, is evident of the gospel and evident of the Holy Spirit at work in them. Lord, thank you for your love. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Awesome. Um, just a couple of things. Uh, thank you all for being here. I think God is continuing to challenge, hopefully, your hearts as he is mine. Uh, last week, talked about the infection that we do have, which is sin. And tonight, David, uh, use, God using David to uh, bring a word about pride and this issue of pride in our lives. And hopefully, my prayer is this week that you would leave this place and that you would continually pray that God would challenge you as we talk about these things over the next few weeks, that God would continue to challenge you and surrender your heart to him each and every day. The process of sanctification, your process of salvation, it's ongoing. It's not a one-time deal. And so I pray that God would continue to challenge your heart. Right now, before we leave, I want to mention one thing to you, and that's our Guys and Girls Fall Retreats. It's not this weekend, but the next weekend, November 8th and 9th. Uh, a lot, of, a lot of you guys have other things going on. I think there's maybe a football game going on that night, first game, week of the playoffs. That's fine. I still want you to come. So if you can come later that night, if you can come early Saturday morning, make it a priority to be there. We have slots for about 40 uh, guys and 40, 45 girls. So I want you to come. want you to be a part. It's going to be a really fun-filled weekend. You can sign up outside on the student info table by taking one of those envelopes home, uh, or you can sign up online. Uh, go to our website. Hey, hang with me. Go to our website, and then go to ministries, and then go to students, and it's right there. So take that. Make sure you tell your parents about that. Sign up as quickly as possible so we can get those spots filled. All right. Love you guys. Grace and peace.